Good morning once again. It's good to see everybody here today and I am excited about opening God's Word and uh, starting off in a new direction. Uh, this morning we are starting a new teaching series uh, called Beautiful Attitudes. Beautiful Attitudes. Uh, this will be an exploration of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. Uh, as you know, I'm a big fan of multimedia, and at this point in the message, I was planning on showing you a video, but I'm not going to because technology sometimes is my nemesis. Uh, but what I was going to show you right now is it's, it was from Sesame Street, and it was a episode or as a, a vignette called Upside Downton Abbey, Upside Downton Abbey, it, and it was like puppet versions of the Dowager. What's her name? Dowager. I'm looking at you, Chloe, to help here. The Dowager, Countess. the Countess Dowager. Anyway, and her, the, what's the butler's name? Carson, Mr. Carson, but everything's upside down, so he keeps bringing her like uh, food or, and, and tea, but every time he tries to put it on her plate or pour it into her cup, it goes to the ceiling. And so it's clearly things are not <laughs> right because it's upside down to Abby. And so she starts complaining about why can't we, uh, be right side up, down, or I don't know what the opposite of upside down now, be right side up, down. Anyway, uh, so he says, well, well, mom, we could throw the switch to turn upside down to Nabby into right side up down to Nabby. So he throws this big switch, the whole thing goes upside down, and then all of a sudden they're happy and eating food. I didn't show it because of the technology, but also I'm not sure how well it would connect so that's what you get instead <laughs> my my dance remix representation I might post it to the the, the, the podcast though so, or the Facebook page so you can watch it so but anyway today we're starting with beautiful attitudes and today's message is called as you might guess have guessed upside down world the Sermon on the Mount how many of you here are familiar with when I say the Sermon on the Mount that's shorthand for something you already understand okay it's Jesus's probably most famous sermon that's captured in the Gospels, uh, specifically in Matthew that we're going to be looking at. But the Sermon on the Mount is widely regarded as the most concentrated and elegant collection of Jesus' teachings about the kingdom ethics, about kingdom ethics and values. Okay, nowhere else do you find this extended discourse uh, with Jesus unpacking uh, the core values and ethics of his kingdom. To live under his lordship, this is what ought to matter most. And this is what he spends a, two or three chapters really un, un, unpacking and, and illustrating and describing. The Sermon on the Mount, it includes favorites like the Beatitudes and also uh, the Lord's Prayer. This is where we find these uh, familiar and beloved passages. People throughout the ages have looked 
to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount for guidance, for encouragement, and for comfort in their Christian walk. But, as popular and beloved as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount might be, most readers, most readers who are paying attention, can't help but notice how unusual it is. They can't help but notice how incompatible the Beatitudes seem to be when compared to real life. When they hear the Beatitudes and they compare those to how uh, things are in the real world, they think, this doesn't make sense. There's something here that doesn't line up. So they find that while the Beatitudes are beautiful, they're unusual and they seem incompatible with the real world. When Jesus sat on that hillside in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, he gathered around himself people from all over the place. It wasn't just this homogenous group of, uh, of people. It was people from all over the place, all with different experiences. Each and every person around him came from different places and had experienced different things. His listeners, they came from, from differing levels of income, different levels of education. Some were married, some were single, some were well-fed, and some were hungry. Each person there that day, hearing Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, was there for both shared reasons and also they were there for some deeply personal reasons. If you would have surveyed the crowd listening to Jesus during His ministry and during this sermon, they would have had a lot of overlap in why they were there. But each and every one of them bore with them really deeply personal reasons too. What it is that drove them to seek Jesus out. Jesus was a well-known uh, itinerant rabbi, meaning he traveled around Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, teaching a, a radical new vision of life with God. People heard Jesus and they're like, wow, this guy has power. This guy's different. Something about Jesus. There's something about Jesus. So he, he started to become really popular and, and gained fame as this itinerant rabbi that was bringing this radical new vision, this message that pointed people into a new kind of life with God. Add to that, Jesus, in addition to traveling around, he was demonstrating a, this new vision with miraculous signs. He wasn't just talking about, he was actually giving glimpses of this new reality. He was demonstrating this new vision with miraculous signs and wonders, uh, with people being healed, with uh, people being raised from the dead. These were powerful signs. But here's the thing. Regardless of where his listeners came from, and regardless of what they had experienced, when Jesus kicked off the Sermon on the Mount, things got upside down real fast. Because he starts off and goes right into the Beatitudes. And there was kind of a collective, huh? What? Specifically, Jesus, when Jesus, with Jesus declaring the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12, we can imagine these excited faces turning into concerned faces. We can start imagining uh, everybody's eyebrows bunching a little bit closer together as they started to, to furrow their brow and start to uh, have more and more of an increasingly uh, in incredulous stare, like, 
I'm not sure I'm tracking with Jesus here. I'm not sure what he's talking about here. Because the things he's saying, those don't make sense. Those don't make sense. In fact, that might be a little, feel a little bit offensive too. Because I'm who he's talking about and that's not how I feel. These beautiful attitudes that Jesus was talking about, the, the situation that he was calling blessed, they were certainly, most certainly not blessed in his audience's experience. Are you kind of feeling this tension here? They hear what he's saying and they're comparing him to their own experience and they're like, this does not make sense. Because what you're saying, what you're calling blessed, that is not blessed. How I, in, in my own experience, uh, uh, what you're calling blessed uh, is not, what you're calling blessed is not blessed and what you're calling beautiful, it's not beautiful. In the world as it is, those things that you say are beautiful, those aren't beautiful around here. In the world as it is, the poor are trampled. In the world as it is, those who mourn are ignored. In the world as it is, the meek are exploited, the merciful are ridiculed. In the world, in our world, the pure in heart, they're hated. The peacemakers, they're reviled. The persecuted, they're co-opted and overlooked. This is the world we live in. How could Jesus, with a straight face, say to the gathered masses around him that those who are beat down, those who are stood up, those who are kicked out, and those who are caved in, you are the most blessed. You see, the, the reason I'm making such a point here is that we've heard this in kind of the, the, the dulcet tones of Scripture uh, over the years in kind of our geographically and historically, chronologically disconnected uh, place. And we hear it in kind of the sing-songy tones of Scripture, right? But when it's actually being said in first century Palestine, this smacked right up against what people had experienced, what they had lived in their life. So you can kind of sense this conflict. You can, you can sense this clash that's happening inside of his listeners. And I think Jesus did it on purpose. I think he wanted to get their attention right out of the gate. You, yes, you, you are blessed. These things are ultimately blessed. Surely, Jesus must have meant something more. Jesus must have meant something more than just our day-to-day our -day living and dying. He must have meant something more than the human quest and, and toil. The, the human toiling for food to eat. This daily striving just to make ends meet. Surely Jesus meant something more. In the Sermon on the Mount, here's what's happening. Jesus is lifting the curtain. And there's a biblical word for lifting the curtain or cracking the lid off of something. Does anyone know what that word is? Revelation. Jesus is, is bringing a revealing word. He's revealing something about what's truly true, about ultimate reality in the life with God. He's bringing revelation. Uh, he's telling them about this once and future reality. He's telling them about a, an already but not yet truth for those who will trust in Him. And we don't do very well with those things. We don't like tension, do we? We don't like to have to hold two things in tension in our mind. But he's saying, hey, how things were, they will someday be again. There's something that's happening right now that will come in its fullness in a time to come.
He is saying to his bedraggled listeners, listen, how things are isn't the way things were meant to be. And how things are, it's not how things are going to be forever. Because you and me, we live in that same kind of world, don't we? It's so easy to feel hopeless. And we want so badly to believe what Jesus says. So hear him say, hey, how it is, that's not how it was meant to be. And it hasn't always been this way. And good news, it's not going to be like this forever. So hold on. Hold fast. Indeed, a time is coming when the switch will be thrown. The switch will be thrown in our world and things will be set to right. Things will be made right side up indeed. So if you have your Bible, I'd invite you to look to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and let's start in verse 1. Uh, just kind of get a running start at this because context is important. That, Matthew 5 chapter 1, one day, that 5 verse 1, how about that? On one day, as Jesus saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. Verse 3, God blesses those who are poor and realizes their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So it's always a challenge to start off a teaching series. But I want to be clear, what I'm trying to accomplish today is just to kind of start that conversation, to kind of start this learning adventure. Next week, we will get busy unpacking the Beatitudes in greater depth. But today, I'd like us to all get a feel for what's going on here and get a feel for what Jesus is actually seeking to accomplish, not just in the Sermon on the Mount, but specifically in the Beatitudes. It's important for us to realize, uh, it's important for us to realize that Jesus had not come to fulfill the expectations that were placed upon a first century rabbi in Palestine. Uh, you may know I do a lot of church planter training, and uh, one of the first things we teach them is a definition of leadership. That, that, that's like, uh, our definition of leadership is disappointing people at a rate they can handle. And I think this was Jesus' definition of leadership too, because he doesn't start off very well if he's got a different definition of leadership. He's disappointing his listeners. He's disappointing that because he's not going to step into that space to say, hey, I'm here to fulfill all your expectations of a first century rabbi. Now, what were the expectations of a first century rabbi in Palestine? Does anyone know? Any ideas? What would they be expected to do? Well, for the sake of simplicity, I would say to teach the law and to oppose Rome. To throw off the oppression of Roman occupation. 
to, to teach the, his hearers to resist, to be loyal to God and to resist the oppressor. In fact, as Messiah, even those who came to believe that Jesus was Messiah, they even more so believed that this was his intention or should be his intention to teach the law and overthrow Rome. Jesus came, though, to heal spiritual blindness, to open our eyes uh, so we could begin to see beyond the world as it is into what's going on behind all this dysfunction, all this pain, and all, the, all this chaos. Because really, at some level, there's so much happening right here in front of us, so much noise and confusion and activity that it's hard to even believe sometimes that there's a real reality happening behind it. That in God's reality, there's something else happening. Remember, I don't know if how many of you are here back, back in the day when I taught through Revelation. One of the key ideas in Revelation that I tried to bring up relatively often was that you have to read uh, Revelation, the book, and the Revelation that Jesus talks about in his ministry, as if there's two screens up on the wall ahead of you. One of these is the cosmic reality, what's happening in God's reality, in His presence, in His throne room. And then the other screen is what's happening here on earth, how this is being played out here. And so much of that is true and, and, and informative when it comes to reading the rest of Scripture. Because Jesus is stepping right into that, that understanding as He's teaching the, the Beatitudes. He knows that the people listening to Him are like, I can't hear beyond all the stuff happening in my life. The way I'm getting pushed out. The way I'm being pushed down. I have a hard time believing that there's something else happening. Behind all of this, there's something more real and more truly true happening in God's reality. Behind all the noise. Throughout His earthly ministry, Jesus routinely freed people from their small religious thinking. He routinely freed people from their selfish concerns. Jesus routinely opened people's eyes to see the kingdom. He invited people over and over to have new eyes that might see the kingdom and its reality and how it's actually breaking into our world even now. N.T. Wright uh, explains it this way. He says, Jesus wasn't simply a great teacher. And if we try to describe him like that, we will misunderstand him. People often say, what wonderful teaching the Sermon on the Mount is, and that if only people would obey it, the world would be a better place. But if we think of Jesus simply as sitting there telling people how to behave properly, we will miss what is really going on. These blessings, the wonderful news that he's announcing, they're not saying, try hard to live like this. They're saying that people who already are like this are in good shape. They should be happy and celebrate. Jesus is not suggesting that these are simply timeless truths about the way the world is and about human behavior. If he was saying that, he was wrong. Mourners often go uncomforted. The meek, they don't seem to inherit the earth. Those who long for justice frequently take that longing to the grave. 
This world that Jesus is speaking about, this is an upside-down world or perhaps a right-way-up world. And Jesus is saying that with His work, it has started to become true. It is starting to become true. This is an announcement. The Sermon on the Mount is an announcement, not a philosophical analysis of the world. What Jesus brings in the Sermon on the Mount is an announcement, a proclamation, a declaration. It's not just a philosophical analysis of the world. It's about something that is starting to happen. It is not about a general truth of life. It is gospel. It is good news. It is not good advice. I think it's important to start in the right place when we approach the Sermon on the Mount. In the Christian life, it is easy, easy to get caught up with trying to live right and to behave your way into heaven. Have you ever found yourself on that hamster wheel? Yeah, I mean, you're just trying to get it right and get it good enough to behave your way into heaven. It's easy to become eager to wash our hands of this fallen world. Many good and God-fearing Christians have effectively withdrawn from the world uh, hearing, hearing teachings like the Beatitudes simply as internal values and private attitudes that they should strive toward and then just basically waiting for Jesus to come back. That's really the point. They got saved. Now their job is to behave until Jesus comes back. But as we will find, in context, the Beatitudes are followed up directly with Jesus' teachings to His followers about being what? salt and light. We can't separate this out into, into individual disconnected chapters. Jesus follows the Beatitudes right up with be salt and be light in the world. You can read on. You can read that in Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16. But basically saying, hey, you are to be a redemptive influence here and now. The call to follow Jesus will not let us get comfortable in just sitting around and waiting for heaven. We are to be active, agents of redemption in the world even now. Now, conversely, uh, there, uh, like I, I've been talking about, this escapist mentality is just waiting to go to heaven. Well, conversely, it's also tempting to hear Jesus' words and become an activist. To hear Jesus' words and become an activist of sorts, railing against injustice, working tirelessly to smash power structures, and hoping in the end to wrestle heaven down to earth by force, by our own equally moralistic efforts. But Jesus rebukes both. In what he's teaching, he actually rebukes both. He rebukes both. Those, he rebukes those who would ignore the world and all of its suffering. And he rebukes those who would draw their sword to force change. What's Jesus doing here? Christ followers must necessarily be people of both. Of both hopefulness and action. Hopefulness and action. People who are living in this strange tension between heaven and earth in a way. We're called to live in this weird tension between the kingdom and the world as it is. We faithfully seek to balance an eager belief in the kingdom come, which believing in this top-down transformation 
while intentionally revealing and representing that kingdom now, which means we are working for bottom-up renewal. Do you understand this direction? We're believing that ultimate healing comes through top-down transformation, through the kingdom come. But in the meantime, we are to reveal and represent that kingdom here and now, working for bottom-up renewal, giving signs of God's glory, giving signs of that healing. We live our lives as kingdom signposts. Imagine that your whole life is a signpost. Where is it pointing? Well, in Christ, our, our life as a signpost is to be pointing toward the kingdom. Our life is to be pointing toward the kingdom in the world today, announcing and bearing witness to and pointing toward that new creation even now. I've heard it said, it's like we live in enemy-occupied territory and we're the ones who are boldly planting a flag for our king, saying we're going to establish a beachhead for the gospel, a beachhead for the kingdom here and now, even in enemy-occupied territory because we believe that this land ultimately believe, belongs to King Jesus. And someday He's going to come and liberate us all. Our lives, we are to be kingdom signposts in the world today, pointing in a million different ways toward that new creation even now. So as we get started in this teaching series, I want to invite all of us to pray. To be praying. Pray and ask God to give us ears to hear eyes to see, hearts to understand Jesus' words presented here in the Sermon on the Mount, to hear them and perceive them rightly and to apply them well in our lives today, to act upon them appropriately for God's glory. What our world needs today is people like you and me who have committed to follow after Jesus, to go out in Jesus' name bringing transformed, beautiful attitudes into the world. Attitudes that are hopeful. Attitudes that are ready for His kingdom to come. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that You would strike our hearts with the truth of Your Word. I pray that You would uh, strike our hearts with the truth of the Sermon on the Mount. God, I pray that, yes, we would feel that that strange friction, that strange, uh, I don't know, disconnect between what Jesus says and what we see in the world around us. I pray that that discomfort would motivate us to pursue the life He has for us. One that is trusting and is hopeful, is steadfast in our belief that what Jesus inaugurated through His resurrection is really real and truly true and it's here already and it's breaking in day by day. But also, I pray that we would understand, too, that the ways it's breaking into our world is often through us. Through our pursuit of justice, through our pursuit of mercy and peacemaking and building unity, of bringing healing. God, I pray that we would be people who are, are, are faithful, both in trusting in you, but also being at work in the world, making you more visible, revealing and representing the kingdom. God, motivate us. So, so often in the church, it's easy to become complacent. And while we would never admit that we're just waiting around for Jesus to come back, that's kind of tacitly what we do. We kind of settle into this complacency that allows us to sit still and wait for others to do the heavy lifting, others to do the work, others to work toward peace and justice. 
God, bring conviction, I guess. Just bring conviction. Lord, in all the ways that maybe I'm guilty of this, my friends here today are guilty of this, I pray that you would uh, make our feet beautiful as we bring the, the good news into our world in tangible, meaningful ways. Lord, I pray that uh, people would see our lives and they would see them as pointing them somewhere good and beautiful, somewhere toward uh, new creation. And God, I pray also that we would uh, be actively engaged in what life will look like in that kingdom even now as we plant a flag for King Jesus. Lord, I pray that as people interact with us, as, the, as people see the works of our hands, I pray that they would hear the Sermon on the Mount, that they would hear the Beatitudes and say, hey, somehow, strangely, that makes a little more sense just now. I'm catching a glimpse of what Jesus was talking about, what Jesus was telling on that hillside so long ago. So God, work this message we ask deeply into our hearts. We lift this prayer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I'm excited to continue that series. Uh, I wrote it a while back uh, before uh, coronavirus, so there's <laughs> no, uh, no uh, pandemic references in it, but, uh, you know, yeah, maybe that's good, right? So a um, couple of announcements. I'm excited about next week. Uh, next week, I've got my friend Marquisa Rover. She goes by Kiki. Does anyone know Kiki? She works at Ambassadors for Children, uh, an organization that's really actively involved in helping foster families and kids in foster care get the things that they need. And it's a crazy organization. If you ever get a chance to go by and tour their facility, they've got all kinds of stuff that's for free for kids in foster care. Well, um, as you know, Hope and Anchors always kind of had foster care as one of our priorities. And uh, over the years, we've fostered and adopted a lot of kids in our fellowship. Uh, and uh, we really want to figure out what that looks like going forward. And so I think partnering with agencies like Ambassadors for Children is a really good thing for us. And so I've got Kiki coming to uh, share with us about Ambassadors next Sunday and about how we can be involved as a church, but also you can be involved as an individual to help them in their mission. But uh, I think you're going to really enjoy it. So Kiki's going to be here next Sunday to share a bit about Ambassadors for Children. Also... Uh, Christy, can you say something about those t-shirts in the back? Uh, so right before everything happened, we ordered a whole bunch of Hope and Anchor t-shirts um, that uh, you can look at in the back. If some people ordered them, if you ordered them and paid for them, I have them. Um, if you want to order one, uh, you can see me afterwards. I'll stand back there for a few minutes with the, the clipboards. Um, we have a whole bunch. And so um, we're still, it's still a fundraiser for Italy, even though Italy didn't happen this year. It will happen next year. <laughs> Lord willing. So um, we're still, we're still selling them because we have them and trying to raise money. So uh, you can see me by the box afterwards. Yeah. All right. Uh, Curtis, is there an announcement for the students tonight? Yeah. Um, tonight at our house at 6 o'clock. Uh, put it out on the Facebook chat for the address if you know what that is. Or you can get with me afterwards. Uh, between 6 to 8 tonight at our house. All right. Uh, any other announcements? Oh, uh, yeah, we had Love Thy Neighbor. We had kind of the new iteration of Love Thy Neighbor this past Friday. Um, partnering with Victory Mission. And we saw, I think, around 20 people come through to get uh, food, personal hygiene, uh, cleaning supplies, and prayer. And we met some great people. And I'm looking forward to uh, 
continuing this relationship with Victory Mission in our neighborhood. Um, it's going to happen the second and fourth Fridays of the month from like 1 to 2.30. And so there's going to be opportunity to be involved uh, as a volunteer. Really, our job is pretty easy. We just show up, help set up, just meet people, and uh, just make friends. And so uh, not a lot of heavy lifting. Victory Mission does a great job rolling in. So see me if you've got questions about that. Um, Wes is here, too. He can tell you about it, too. He's a big Victory Mission guy now. So um, and, Or Anna. You can see her, too. <laughs> She's raising her hands. So, awesome. Any other, anything else? All right, let's stand and praise the Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks everybody. Have a good week. Thank you.